Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, do follow along. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Lest you think that you're having one of those deja vu all over again moments this morning. I'm coming back and re-preaching my message from last Sunday. A couple reasons. Last Sunday was weird. We were online. Some of us were online. This topic is so important. These verses at this moment in Colossians are so important. I want to make sure that we get this, understand this, because be able to understand the rest of Colossians because of these verses. I've preached this message probably six times over the past couple weeks, including last Sunday, and each time I'm amazed at the message, not my message, at the message of Scripture. It, it, it boggles my mind. There's so much that Paul has put here, and it should transform our lives. A number of years ago, many years ago, Charles Colson, Chuck Colson wrote a book, How, now, how, then shall, no, how now Shall We Live?, when my wife and I were ministering in Arlington, Virginia, we did that as a Bible study. I noticed a number of copies here in the office, so I think probably you did it as a church back in the day. And just on the back cover, it says that the book shows that the great spiritual battle today is a cosmic struggle between competing worldviews. It goes on to say that true Christianity goes far beyond John 3.16, beyond private faith or personal salvation. A lot of times we as believers, you know, this is my personal thing, and we kind of keep it there. But it says it's nothing less than a framework for understanding all of reality. It is a world view. And I think that's one of the overwhelming purposes of Paul as he sat down and began to pen this letter to the believers in Colossae to show that their faith in Jesus Christ alone must become their worldview, and therefore it must become our worldview. Since Christ has transformed us, this then is how we should live. Every decision we make Every emotion that we act upon, every social view that we hold, every political stance that we, uh, that we take must be seen and understood through the prism of Jesus Christ and His Word. And if anything deviates from that, folks, it's wrong. That's how Paul starts here in chapter 3 of Colossians. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Paul sets the stage for the whole second half of his letter by giving us two commands that we are to obey. Notice that they are not negative commands. They are not part of the thou shalt nots. 
They're positive. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. God's commands for us are always positive. He lets us know the negative side of things, but His commands are positive. A couple of weeks ago, we looked briefly at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, walk by the Spirit, and then what? And you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk by the Spirit is a positive command. And the result of being obedient to that is that we won't be gratifying the desires of the sinful nature, which ruled us previously. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm is the positive command. Stand firm on God's word. And the result of being obedient to that is that we won't be burdened by the yoke of slavery that sin brings back upon us again. James 4.7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit yourselves to God is that positive command. And the result is that he will then enable us, he will, uh, we'll be able to avail ourselves of all the power and authority of Jesus Christ to resist the devil and temptation and sin and live that victorious life. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy because I am holy. Be holy is a positive command, is it not? Is it possible? Yes. Do we mess up sometimes? Yes. But when we do mess up, he's given us a way back. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and do what? Purify us from all unrighteousness. That's bringing us back into the state of holiness where we are to be living. That's how that works. Of course, we all know the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In fact, in John chapter uh, one of First uh, John chapter five, excuse me, verse three to five. This is love for God to keep His commands. Oh, Pastor, you're back talk, talking about keeping commands again. Does that include all the Ten Commandments, all the Thou shalt nots? Well, yeah, but now Jesus has flipped it, right? Love the Lord your God. Positive takes care of all the first five commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest that takes care of the other five uh, Old Testament commandments. Love. John says, and his commands are not burdensome. Not not only are they positive here, they're not burdensome. Why? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. How is that possible? Because our old nature has been put off. It's been crucified, dead, and buried. John said, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even your faith. Our faith is the victory. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and declared Him Lord, we believed in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we were saved. This is not just a factoid or or an interesting historical event that we're supposed to believe, but we need to believe it in our heart to understand it and to make it the very core of our existence, to make it part of our worldview. Who is it that overcomes the world, John then asks? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that He was raised from the dead. Sounds like Paul in Romans chapter 9, doesn't it? Now, coming back to Colossians chapter 3 here, let me read those first four verses uh, again to, to bring us back into context here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, here in these verses, I've picked out five R's that are on your outline there that we need to take a look at. First of all, Paul reminds us of what he just said. So there's a reminder there. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, let's stop there just for a second. With that one phrase, it's amazing. Paul's, Paul's vocabulary is amazing. Just in that one phrase, he refers back to everything he's been teaching in the first two chapters of Colossians. Everything revolves around Christ. Remember, he says, the preeminence of Christ, his superiority over all things. He is the image of the invisible God. All things were created by him, and he holds all things together. He is that strong nuclear force. He and he alone can reconcile all things to himself and present us blameless. He is our hope of glory. Why? Because at the cross... He did so much more than just allow himself to die and then be raised. But in that very act, as we come to him, he put to death our old nature and destroyed the power of sin that ruled that nature and made us alive in him by replacing that old nature with his new nature and thereby provided complete salvation, complete forgiveness, complete victory by disarming all the powers and authorities and triumphing over them at the cross. Paul refers to all of that in that one short phrase, since then you've been raised with Christ. Therefore, instead of since, you can put therefore. Therefore, everything that I've talked about in chapters 1 and 2, here's what I'm going to say now. You know, as I was pondering that phrase, since then you've been raised with Christ, Romans 10, 9 came, came back to mind. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that verse struck me in a new way. First of all, when we declare Jesus as Lord, we're not just quietly saying it in our prayers, yes, Jesus is Lord, I believe that. But we, are, we should be declaring it to others. That's what the word declaring means, does, does it not? But perhaps even more importantly, we are declaring it to the enemy. That's part of what baptism is all about. That's the significance. We are declaring openly that he is defeated, that, we, that Jesus is Lord. The powers and authorities in the, in the spiritual realm, we are declaring to them that we are under new management, letting, letting the dark spiritual realm know that we know that they are defeated and that Jesus is now our Lord. He's, he's our, our ruler. He's our preeminent one. Declare with your mouth, Paul says, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I don't think Paul was just saying, just intellectually believe that that's something that took place. The word to believe doesn't mean just to think it to be true. We do need to start there. But the broader and deeper meaning of that word is, is to be persuaded by that truth to the place 
of confidence, having confidence in the truth, which he's, he's been explaining to us through the first two chapters of Colossians. We need to fully grasp the reality and full, full understanding of what his resurrection means to us and for us. And the fact that we now have been raised with Christ and all that encompasses. He said, if we confess and believe, what? We'll be saved. Did you realize that we're not just saved from eternal punishment and look forward to eternity in heaven? That's part of it. That's a huge part of it. But we have been saved, folks, from our old nature and the power that sin had over it right now. And therefore, we are to live accordingly. We are to live that risen life free from the power of sin. Paul says, count yourselves what? Dead to sin. Consider it done and live in that reality. Set your hearts on things above, on heavenly things. You know, there's an expression I've heard people use of others sometimes. He's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. That's the devil's lie. That's what he wants you to think. But the opposite is actually true. Remember what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.3? His divine power has been given to us. Excuse me. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life right now and godliness, both through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Then verse 4 kind of puts an exclamation mark on that. It says, through these... He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, listen, you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Once again, the only way we can participate in that divine nature is by having been raised with Christ and given that new nature, given that divine nature. And the only way that we have escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires that he mentions is if our old nature, which was controlled by those evil desires, has been put, put off, has been crucified, it's, been de- it's dead, it's, it's buried. That's how we've escaped from that. But just as Christ did not remain buried, we did not remain buried. We were raised with Christ. How far? How far was Christ raised? He ascended all the way to heaven, didn't he? What does Paul say happened to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6? And God raised us up with Christ so we can live right here and live a normal life. Not what he said. He said he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, that's in the past tense, something that has already happened. It's not something that we're looking forward to. It's already taken place. The moment we came to Christ, when, when we were dead in sins, Ephesians tells us, when we were made alive together with Christ, when we were saved by grace, we were instantaneously raised up and given us a place in the heavenlies in Christ. Spiritually speaking, we ascended Our conscious mind is to be occupied with Christ. We entered, as it were, into the Holy of Holies. The veil was ripped, remember? 
and we walked into the presence of God. He made that access for us. The moment we were saved, God granted to us the capacity to enter into and live consciously in His presence. Boy, try to wrap your mind around that one. In a moment, we're going to be talking about what that means, and at the end, we're going to be singing about that as well, walking, entering into the Holy of Holies. One other verse that popped out to me um, as I was contemplating this is the most common verse that the vast majority of people that memorize verses have memorized, and that's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. What does that mean? What does eternal, having eternal life mean? Well, duh. <laughs> it means you're going to be living forever with, with Jesus in heaven. Well, yes, that's true. But from what we're learning in Colossians here, it means so much more than that. You see, we died when we turned to Christ. And at that, old, at that moment, our old nature was buried with Christ. And then we rose from the dead with Christ. And we took on what kind of a life? We took on that eternal life, that new life, that new nature, the eternal life right now. You see, eternal life is not merely a quantity of life forever and ever, but it is a quality of life for us right now. It is a heavenly life. So when we come, came alive in Christ at the moment of our salvation, we came alive to the dimension of God's heaven. Our mind was literally open to God and, and what God desires and what God's will for us is. We entered into that new dimension. We're living in an eternal life right now, which is a quality and a dimension of life that only God can give. Having eternal life takes us into that presence of God and we live His kind of life. We breathe His kind of air. That's what Paul was reminding us when, when he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Which then leads to our second point, the second R on our outline. That's the responsibility that we are given. Still in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's the present continuous verb tense that, that Paul is using. He is, continue to set your hearts on things above. Make it a pattern of your life to be preoccupied with heaven and heavenly things. And just to be clear, Paul's not offering another kind of asceticism, which we talked about a few, a few weeks ago, another kind of bizarre spiritual experience. He's simply saying, let your preoccupation with heaven govern everything you do here on earth. Even more practically, he's not saying, just, just kind of imagine yourself in heaven walking down the golden streets through those pearly gates and, and standing around worshiping God forever and ever and ever. We'll be doing that. But that's not what he's talking about here. When we talk about setting our hearts on something, that thing becomes the most important thing in our life, right? 
It could be a car, it could be a house, it could be a new job, whatever it is. And we're just focused on that. Every waking minute of, of our time, we're thinking about, about that. Paul is saying instead of setting our hearts on things that we want, we need to set our hearts on the things God wants. God's purpose needs to become our overwhelming purpose. So what, what is his purpose for us? To be holy? Yes. To walk in newness of life? Yes. To walk in the Spirit? Yes. But actually, all those things are what we are to be on a regular basis. But what right now is the most important thing to God? What is his purpose for us being here? Why are we left in this world? It's to share the gospel, is it not? To share the love of Jesus to others, to bring others to the feet of Jesus, go and make disciples, is our commission. That should be our preoccupation, because that's God's preoccupation. We entered into the heavenlies when we were saved, but do you, you know what often happens, at least for myself? I sometimes have a hard time pushing my heart up there, or believing I'm really there or pushing my mind up there, keeping focus there all the time. We get so preoccupied, preoccupied with our life, and I'm including myself in the we here, how much money we've got, what our house looks like, what our clothes look like, whether we're keeping up with society or not, preoccupied with some of the insignificant mundane things in our world. The busyness of our lives overtakes us. The verb here is to be constantly seeking. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given as well. And this is not a new concept. This is not a new New Testament Jesus concept. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 19, it says, Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. It's always been the case. Okay, fine, you say, but how, how, how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us our second responsibility, which actually helps us in the first responsibility, and that's in verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And again, it's, it's in the present continuous verb, which Paul is saying, that we are to keep setting our minds on things above. Keep on thinking about the things above. You see, we not only seek heaven, but we think heaven. How are we going to set our hearts on things above? By setting our minds on things above. If we are really seeking the things above, we have to program our minds to think on those things. Another verse that opened up to me in this context is 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 5, which says, We take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. I, I've talked about that verse before. You, usually we talk about that verse in context of, of, of t taking captive those evil thoughts, uh, those temptations that, that come to us. We take those captive and make our thoughts uh, obedient to Christ. But when we get preoccupied with the things of this world, the things that we want, those too can be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. We need to get our thoughts back on Christ and on what Christ desires. A couple of weeks ago in our weekly Bible study on, on Tuesday evenings, we talked about bonsai training. I, I, I've always enjoyed bonsai trees. Cool looking. To make a bonsai tree, 
look like a bonsai tree. It takes a lot of work. They are normal plants, believe it or not, that are trained to look different. When the trunks and branches are thin and supple, they'll wrap a fairly solid wire around the branches, around the trunk, and will twist and turn them to the shape that they want the tree to end up in. And then as it grows, a lot of trimming off of the branches and leaves and everything else takes place. And when it becomes mature, the trunk and the branches then become solid in that shape. And then they can remove the wire and they'll remain like that. And then becomes, it be, then becomes its new norm. That's the way it now will continue to live. And what you end up is a beautiful, amazing new look. You know, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, to train yourself to be godly. It just doesn't come automatically. Just train yourselves to be godly. We, we have to go from the old norm to the new norm. And that takes training. Our old norm used, used to be the old nature controlled by the sinful desires. That's what came natural to us. Our new norm should be looking like the new nature. And since the old nature controlled by sinful desires has been put off, we now have to retrain our thinking. Our, 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 our old brain is still here. Our old bodies are still here. We have to retrain our thinking and our hearts to the things of the new nature. Our old minds with its old habits, we've become accustomed to doing those old things. It just comes naturally to us. And we've got to begin breaking those habits and learn something new. We need to retrain our mind, making our thoughts obedient to Christ, setting our hearts on things above, setting our minds on things above, making God's kingdom our priority. And the Holy Spirit then will create us into this new and a beautiful and amazing new look. How do we do that? Very simple, actually, but often with a lot of dif uh, discipline. And you've heard this a hundred times. We do it by being in and staying in God's Word and then doing what it says. That's why Paul says, train yourselves to be godly. Discipline. Work. Over and over. That's what James tells us, right? Don't be hearers of the word only. Do what it says. It's a continual training process until that then becomes a new norm. We have to keep pruning those old desires that used to be the norm, purposely cutting them out. We're going to be talking about that next Sunday. And then with God's Word and obedience, with the power of the Holy Spirit, He doesn't leave us alone in our own strength. He's reshaping those desires to align with the new normal, which is that new life in Christ. To grow into something beautiful that will constantly and consistently be glorifying to our Father in Heaven. One author put it this way, I always dwell in the heavenlies when my mind is preoccupied with Scripture. Because the only thing that I know about God and the only thing I know about Christ and the only thing I know about the Holy Spirit and the only thing I know of their character and their values is what I read in the Word. And so it's only as I re, uh, reiterate it in my heart, he says, and my mind, these truths that God is actualized in my thinking, 
that God becomes real to my conscious mind and that the realness of God and the values of God are then translated into my action. So Paul is saying in these two verses, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we have the reminder of what's happened to us in Christ. And with that in mind, we have the responsibility that he's given to us. And then we've got a resource. That's the third R, the resource. Look at verse, end of verse 1, still in verse 1 here. Paul, again, Paul's writing is amazing. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He is there, and he's seen in a sitting position. You've heard the explanation about that. His work is accomplished. He sat down. Done. His enemies have been made a spectacle, and they are defeated. And he sits down with all glory and all majesty and all power and all authority. And, he's, and folks, he's waiting in majesty and honor for us to enter into his presence and, and, and claim his power and his authority. This is our resource, Jesus Christ himself. Paul tells us, Ephesians 2, 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's got to become a reality in our lives and in the way we live our lives. Positionally, spiritually, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in victory. And we have all his power. And we all have all his authority at our disposal. And he's saying, avail yourself of that and use it in my name. John chapter 14, Jesus himself said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. There's been a lot of talk about what that verse means. I pray a lot of things in Jesus' name. I don't see it happening. But folks, again, that's why this, these verses here, the first part of Colossians 3, are so, so important for us. If we have our hearts and our minds set on heavenly things, where Christ is, if we are training ourselves to be godly, that's where all of our requests then will be coming from. From a heavenly and godly perspective. All of our requests are going to be focused on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And then fourthly, the fourth R, he reiterates what was alluded to in verse 1, and that's the reason. The reason. In verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died. Died to what? Died to the world, Right? And all that entails. Galatians chapter 6.14, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're dead to the worldly system. We're dead to the world. We're dead to sin. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And the reason that we need to fulfill our responsibility of focusing on heavenly things is because that's where we are alive. We have an entirely new life and a new consciousness. Your life, says Paul, is hidden 
with Christ in God. What does that mean? You ever thought about that? I got to thinking about that, doing some research, some studying, some reading. I found at least three things that that can mean. First, we have become one with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I think of an example of baking. If, if those of you who bake, particularly from scratch rather than the boxes, but if you do it from scratch, you got the flour, you got to add some baking powder, right, and all the other ingredients. And when all is said and done, it's baked, got this beautiful cake. Once you got that cake, you can't reach in there and dig out the baking powder anymore. That baking powder has become one with the flour and all the ingredients. It's all become one as a cake. So we too are hidden with Christ. We are one with Him and Him in us. I think there's a second connotation of being hidden in Christ. When you're hidden, that means somebody can't find it, right? If we are hidden in Christ, our life then is concealed from the world. You see, they don't know it. They think we're just like everybody else. Nothing new. We've got our regular earthly life going on here. They don't know because they can't understand the reality of the new life that we have and what that means that's beyond their perception. Beyond their comprehension. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. In fact, he cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And it's only a person who has come to, to, come to Christ is going to receive that Spirit. Can you imagine yourself trying to explain this concept of live, 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 living in the heavenlies with a darkened mind? They think you're one brick short of a full load. At least. They don't know we're citizens of heaven. The false teachers in Colossae were telling the believers there that they had to go through all kinds of additional conniptions and try to do this and this to, to achieve that, that uh, the, the true spiritual, spirituality and, and be, be in God's presence. But what they didn't know was that the believers had already... We're already there. They were already sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms. The third thing I believe this phrase indicates is our eternal security. If our life is hidden with Christ in God, my goodness, how much more secure can we be? And no one is going to pluck us out of his hands, he promises us. And finally, the, the, the last R. Just to prove all of this, there's actually going to be a revelation. A revelation. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Something we're looking forward to. One day, there's going to be a revelation. There's going to be an unveiling. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 9. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
Now listen, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. The only ones that are going to be dressed in fine linen are the believers that have been raised with him. Folks, that's us who are going to appear with him in glory with our resurrected bodies. People will finally see who it was who really attained God's presence. When Christ, who is our life, What a statement, just that statement is. What a truth. He is our life. Jesus not only gives life, he is our life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the spiritual reality that we are living in. Let's make that a practical, everyday reality all boils down to the fact of who is the center of your life. You know, Ptolemy taught that the center of the solar system was the earth, and everything revolved around the earth. That concept was believed, apparently, for about 1,300 years until they finally proved that it was just an illusion. Copernicus said, no, not the earth, the sun. The sun is the center, and everything goes around the sun. I think there are a lot of Christians who are still living under a Ptolemaic illusion. They think the world is a center, self is a center. They, they've, they, their minds are so focused on self, they can't think of, they don't, don't have their minds on the heavenly things. But the center, the, the world is not the center, or our self is not the center of the universe. The sun, S-O-N, is. Christ is everything. Hope he's the center of each one of your life. That we are always working towards him, always being the center. I hope, hope we're living in the heavenlies because it's the only vantage point from which we can touch the world. We have to be lifted up to Christ before we can touch the world. There's a well-known missionary in China by the name of Hudson Taylor who was so burdened for the country of China. You know what burdened him so much? His biographies tell us that he lived so much in the presence of Christ, setting his heart on the things of Christ, setting his mind on the things of Christ, that he began to feel the great heartbeat of Jesus for lost souls. And he himself wrote in, in, in in, in a book, the burden of Christ became my burden. That's the result of setting our hearts on things above. That's the result of setting our eyes on things above. You see, he lived in the heavenly so much that he began to feel what Christ felt for the people here. Are we living in the heavenlies? We need to ask ourselves that. Are we living in the heavenlies where we are feeling Jesus' heartbeat for lost souls? Have we entered into the Holy of Holies? And are we remaining there? Father, this morning, you gave us access to yourself, tearing apart that curtain. The Holy of holies, which was so holy, so sacrosanct, so, so, so pure, so unreachable, unreachable. 
In the Old Testament times, all through the, uh, up until the time of Christ, only one person, the high priest, could go in once a year. You rip that apart at the cross. Father, I pray that you would help us to enter into the Holy of Holies, that we would reside in the Holy of Holies with our hearts set on things above, with our minds set on things above, and then we will be feeling your heart. And we will have the burden that you'll place to touch people with the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.